Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today we're jumping into our next made-to-be message called Made to Be Real. If you've ever felt like you're too young, too inexperienced, or too anything to do the work God's given you, this message is for you. If you're enjoying this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave a review so other people can find us. And connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Grand Point Church to find out about all the next step opportunities we have coming up like a women's leadership conference, our next sermon series, and more. If you'd like to follow along with today's message from Pastor Lawrence Metzler, our feature verse is 1 Timothy 4.12. Here we go. Thank you, team. At our 815 service this morning, this is kind of cool how this works. You know, our, our teams don't get together and decide what songs we're singing at 815 or 945, but at the 815 service, we sang a hymn called In Times Like These. Have you heard about that? Ever heard that? In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need the Bible. In times like these, we need an anchor. Man, I don't know what's coming at us, you know, both uh, services got this anchor theme going, but it's interesting that hymn was written at the very height of World War II, and it was written by this very common housewife who was just going about her regular duties in the house and somehow heard the news, you know, that was going on about World War II, and she dropped everything that she was doing and sat down and wrote the hymn and the tune uh, to that song, and it's just kind of a beautiful thing, but here's, here's what happens. In times like these, even now. You turn on the news, right? In times like these, we need an anchor, don't we? Some of you have World War III going on in your own lives right now with relationships or whatever it might be. There's turmoil. There's things that are beyond our control and our ability. In times like these, we need that anchor. And I love what happens in that hymn. It's the first two verses that say we need it, but then the third verse says, I have it. I want you to know today that you have it. You have it. You might recognize that you have a need, but you already have a Savior. You have an anchor. You have the provision for your needs. And that's what we celebrate today in that anchor. Amen. Wow. Welcome here this morning. Listen, before we jump into our text, there's something I got to tell you, something that happened this morning that I just have to tell you about. And I want you to get a little rowdy about this, really. But it was in 2017, uh, our leadership here came together with what we believe God led us to, to do with a 1224 vision based upon John 1224. And the first part of that was to develop a partnership with a global community that we could just pour into and really bless and just see God work in. In it. So Pastor Chad and Tony and myself, we went to India and we met with a group of pastors there in central India and we began to talk to them about the vision that we have and ask them about what their vision is for their churches in that community and we really connected. Our hearts connected at that time and we came back and said, you know what, we want to be a partner uh, with this church in India. So over the last two years, we have been fully financially supporting uh, seven pastors in India. I believe we have their pictures there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, something like that. So, 
not really good at math, but we've been supporting seven pastors there uh, full-time, and we've also been a part of building a community center uh, that they're using for school, they're using for some uh, training programs, and also using for worship. It's been neat. Uh, Last year, Pastor Glenn and Chad uh, went to do some leadership training there, and it's been a great partnership. But all what what I want to tell you about this morning, at their services this morning, now they're nine and a half hours ahead of us, so it's already like six 30 or something there in India, but this morning at their services, right at the, right in this pond, right behind uh, where we are there, where'd that pond go? We're back there, there it is, right there in that water, they baptized 40 brand new believers in Jesus Christ. You know what? 40, 40. It's amazing. I, you know, I'd love to say that we were a part of that, but you know what? It's not about us, but it's about what God is doing through them. So someday when we get to heaven, we're going to meet those 40 new believers, and we're going to talk about that day that we heard about that, and we got a little bit rowdy here at Grand Point Church. Come on, let's celebrate that today. Amen. Wow. Thank you, thank you. On behalf of all the churches there in India and these pastors, I just thank you for your faithful support. God's just doing some amazing things through them. Let me tell you what happened here at Grand Point this week. This is kind of our version of March Madness. But we had on Tuesday of this week, Tuesday of this week, we hosted uh, the Chamber of Commerce right here in our building, both the Chambers at Shippensburg and Chambersburg. And it was a beautiful time coming together. I think it was the first time they hosted that in a church. And uh, we set up all of our ministries and just put out everything that we do here, including our 1224 vision. We had about 120 business leaders come in here, and it was just a wonderful time to network with them as uh, we were able to share what we do here as our service to the community as well. And then on Thursday of this week, we hosted the Grand Point Leadership Network. And Chad, I believe we had maybe like almost 80 people come in, 80 business leaders come in for that as well. And we love that kind of networking and that connections with our community. It's just been a beautiful thing. Uh, happening for us. Yesterday, we hosted a premarital counseling seminar here. We had 17 couples come here, and uh, they gave us the permission to kind of speak into their lives as they're preparing for marriage. We have about 20 marriages going out of our church this year, which is a little bit more than usual, but what a great opportunity to mix with them. Next Saturday, next Saturday, I'm excited about this. We have a whole group of men and women going from Grand Point to a church in Blue Mountain, Blue Mountain Church of God in Smithsburg, Maryland, and they're going to paint the entire interior of their sanctuary. Is that not cool? They're going to give that sanctuary a facelift, and at the same time they're doing that, Pastor Chad and I are going to be meeting with the church over in Edders, Pennsylvania, with their leadership team, trying to tell the Grand Point story and help them through some leadership things. And I just share this with you to let you know what you're doing uh, through Grand Point Church. Your contributions and your service to this church is having an impact through throughout our community. And I just want you to know that it's not just what happens here, but happens outside. And that's exactly the 1224 vision at work. It's exactly what we envision, uh, serving our community and the world beyond us here. So thank you on behalf of all of us here at Grand Point for what you do. Hey, we're going to jump into our message series now called Made to Be, and I appreciate Cressa and Rodney's uh, taking the message over the last two weeks. I uh, had a little bit of a busy schedule, so that gave me a little bit of time to work on a few other things, but uh, it's good to be back with you. This Made to Be series is designed to specifically help unpack 
our creative design. What exactly was it that God had in mind when he created man and woman all the way back there in the book of Genesis? We learned at the very first week that God, in his beautiful creative design, created mankind to be made in his image and in the likeness of him. Male and female, he created them. And so we kind of work out of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We work out of that model and that mode to kind of work our way into this world, and that gives you and I a a tremendous value and tremendous purpose as we live out the image of God. We get to mirror and reflect the image of God to the world around us. The second week, we talked about we were made for relationship, and you were made to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and even if you don't pursue that, he pursues you because he wants you so much to be in, in that relationship with him. God loves you so much that he will pursue you and try to bring you into that place. Last week, we talked about, about made to be an example, and we looked at that Uh, Timothy passage where we can look at the younger generation and kind of learn from them, but also be an example to them because you have somebody that's watching you, somebody that's watching you, and they're looking at your life. They know you're a Christian. They know know you go to Grand Point Church, right? They're watching you, watching your life, and you have that privilege to be an example to them. Well, today we're going to kind of pick up on this made-to-be, and I just don't know how to finish the sentence other than you and I were made to be men and women of character. We were made to be real. The reality is some of us go through life wearing these masks because we don't really like who we are. Or we want everybody else to think that we're something different than we are. So we, we put on these masks and we, we, we do this imposter thing, right? Where we pretend to be something that we're not. And let me just tell you, every time that we do that, we limit ourselves to what God wants to do through us. Because God is looking for men and women who are just real. Real people who are raw and authentic and have the character that is just fit to serve him. So to kind of unpack this, I want to tell you a story this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and that's going to be our text. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at this passage, at this story, because it puts all of this in perspective for us. The story takes place in Israel, and it's during the time that Saul is king. Here's how it worked in Israel at this time. When God wanted to appoint a leader, he would use a prophet or a prophetess that he would speak through. Kind of a cool little system that God had there in the Old Testament. And he would use these prophets, these men and women of God, to reveal his will to the nations. And so that's exactly what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 10 when Israel needed a king. God said, I'm appointing Saul to be the king. And Saul was this guy who just looked like a king. I mean, he had the stature, he had the height, he had this, you know, I mean, he wore the power tie, right? So God said, this is my man. And so Samuel was able to anoint him as king in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10. But here's what happened. This is what happens to a lot of people, maybe in high positions or in leadership positions in politics. They begin to some kind of just drift away and do their own thing, right? They've got their own agendas. And, and this is exactly what happened to Saul. As it says in in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he began to depart from the word of God and he kind of just did his own thing. Now, every time that happens, man, things begin to unravel, whether that's in politics or whether it's in your own life. The very moment you begin to drift away from the truth or the word of God, things begin to unravel. And Samuel knew that that's exactly what was going to happen. And so he was grieving. 
He was grieving for the nation. He was grieving for Saul because he knew Saul was making a terrible mistake. It's kind of like when you have kids that are just making some really stupid choices, right? I mean, it hurts because you know that they're going to pay for this for a long, long time. And Samuel knew knew that this was going to be the case uh, for Saul. So here's what happens. He's grieving. He's kind of upset that Saul messed up. And this is exactly where our story picks up. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, hey, how long are you going to grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? So I want you to see this. God says, I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm not going to let this king lead my nation, my chosen people into a bad place. So I rejected him as king. And then, and then God says, fill your horn with oil. He's talking to Samuel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king from among his sons. In other words, God's saying, listen, I've got another guy that I'm going to appoint as king. And it's one of Jesse's sons. Well, Samuel says, how can I do this? How can I go? Because if Saul hears about this, he's going to kill me. And so the Lord says, here's what you do. You take a heifer. Take a heifer, and you go and you have a sacrifice. You have this worship service, right? And you're going to worship the Lord, and you're going to invite Jesse and all of his boys to the worship service as well as other people and and just tell them to come. And then you shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded to Bethlehem and came to Bethlehem. So I want you to see where we find Samuel right now. I mean, Samuel's a wreck. He is a wreck. His heart is broken. He's grieving. He's grieving over, uh, and, he, and he's in this, like, like he's like laying in a fetal position on the floor. He's crying. Like he's just laying down here, and he's almost crippled by fear. And this is really unusual. This is unusual because we're talking about a guy who's been a pillar. This guy's been a man of faith. This guy was a rock. Like, you don't mess with Samuel. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, one chapter before this, Samuel goes out and he kills this foreign king. Like, he's a pastor with a sword. How awesome is that? (laughs) Right? So Samuel is not a guy to be messed with. I mean, he was just, but here we find him curled up on the floor in this fetal position, and he's crying, almost crippled by fear. And you know why he's doing this? Because Samuel is grieving over the sins of God's people. He's grieving over the misery that they're about to face and that they're going to experience for a long, long time. Samuel is grieving because the people have turned away from the Lord and because their leader doesn't follow the Lord anymore. Let me tell you something about leadership. Some of the best leaders are the most impassioned followers. And this is true uh, when it comes to the Lord. This is how it works with the Lord. You have to be a follower before you can be a leader for him. So you find someone who's relentless and humble and obedient follower of Christ, and that person will be the best leader for Christ. You find someone that's relentless and humble and obedient, you line up behind them and you follow them. Not because they're perfect, not because they're never going to mess up or make a mistake, but because they have a faith that is contagious and that is worth imitating. So if you, are, if you find someone who is following hard after God, you follow them because they're a great leader. And Samuel is broken by the fact that Israel does not have that kind of a leadership. They have a great warrior, they have a tactician, but they don't have a leader. Now God is about to appoint a leader that's going to turn this nation around. So God says to Samuel, he's like, Samuel, are you done crying yet? You, you're laying there, are you done crying yet? Um, because I'm going to 
I'm going to appoint a new king. So come on, Samuel, get up. Get up. I've got a job for you to do. I want you to go and anoint this because I am going to appoint a king who is a man after my own heart. This is what God's looking for, by the way. Men and women who are following hard after his heart. I've got a king who will follow after me, so get up and I'll show you what to do. So verse 4 says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. Well, all the elders of the city, they came out and they were trembling. That says something about Samuel's reputation. Remember, he just killed a guy. <laughs> so, so now he's coming into this town, and these people come out, and they're trembling. They're like, do, do you come in peace? And Samuel says, I come in peace, right? And uh, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consecrate yourselves, which is a way of saying, listen, I want you to enter into this worship night. I want you to enter into this worship experience with me because we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I can almost guarantee the whole time Samuel is checking out Jesse's boys. Because he knows that he's got to appoint one of them as a king. Like, like he's about to pick his brackets. Right? He's about to choose his brackets. So he's looking for the guy. He's looking at this guy. He's like, whoa, he's tall. He's probably going to be a good king. This guy's good looking. Like he would make a good king. Wow, this guy over here has the personality. He could upset number one. But you know what? Samuel says, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of this kind of stuff. I'm not going to play the brackets. I'm just going to choose the champion right off the top. I'm going to choose my champion. So he does. He does. And look what happens. Verse 6 says, when they came, these guys came now before Samuel, like, like they had to kind of prayed before him, and then he was going to pick one. But he already picked a guy. He looked on Eliab, son number one, and thought, this is it. This is it. He judged him from the outside, and he says, this is the guy. Surely this is the Lord's appointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or do not look at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Here's what I want you to remember, church. Don't ever, ever forget this. The Lord sees, not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. On the heart. My goodness, this was the obvious pick. Eliab, he's the guy. Even Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is the champion. But God was looking at the heart. You know, when you fly, you, you go to the airport and you go through this long security line, right? You're checking in and you wait in line and then you, you get to that place. You take off your shoes, you know, your, your belt, unless you got that TSA kind of privilege, right? You take off your belt, you put your laptop in a separate container and, and everything goes through the scanner and then you do too, right? The guy motions you and you come in, you put your hands up like this and your whole body is scanned. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for something that's kind of on the inside, the inside, not what can be seen on the outside, but what's under your clothing or maybe what's even implanted inside of you. It's kind of think it'd be neat to have something like that at the sanctuary doors. So we'd be back there and the, the, the ushers would be like, like this. And you come in, you go like this. This thing scans you and it scans your heart. And then we have a whole bunch of screens in the prayer room back there. And we have all these people sitting there watching these screens and they're looking at your heart. And then they text me, they're like, Lawrence, you've got to change your message. My, we've got some heart issues here. We've got this going on. And so I run back and get another message, right? But see, I, I don't, the Lord already knows that, right? The Lord already knows what's in your heart when you come in this place. The Lord knows what's in your heart all the time. He's the one that scans your heart. I don't need to know that. I, I, I'd rather look at your exterior. And you look awesome this morning. You guys look amazing. Thank you, brother. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Especially you, Dom. 
But I can't see your heart. I can't see your heart. But God does. God does. And so this is, what, this is exactly, uh, you know, what's going on here in this picture. Samuel's like, this is the guy right here. The Lord says, no, I see his heart. I've rejected him as king. Then verse 8 says, Jesse called Abinadab, son number two, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Number two, eliminated. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shema pass by. And Shema came, and he had his pinstripe suit on, floral time. He was dressed to the max. And the Lord says, neither have I chosen this one. You know, you know why these guys weren't chosen? Because God saw their heart. Something was not right in their heart. They did not have the character to be his king. This is, this is like trying to choose your NCAA championship by looking at their jerseys. Just had to say that. Right? You don't judge people from the outside. You don't judge the champion by what they're wearing. The champion is judged by really, you know, in this particular case, what's in their heart. So Samuel's like, Jesse, is this all your boys? I mean, all of them passed by. Well, well, you know, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. It's kind of a bummer being four, five, six, and seven. You don't even get mentioned by name anymore, right? All of his sons, they passed by him. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. All of them eliminated. I mean, we're not even down to the final four. All seven are eliminated, Right? And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And, and Jesse says, well, there's, there's one more, the youngest one, but he's out in the fields. Behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send for him and get him. In fact, we're not even going to sit down until he's brought in. So they sent for this youngest son, which, by the way, was David. He's out in the fields. He wasn't even invited. He wasn't even considered. He was overlooked. Jesse was like, I, you know, David, no, he's so unassuming. He's got this job working the sheep out there. He's certainly not going to be appointed. So he wasn't even invited to this, this, this festival. So he brought him in, and he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. The historian Josephus says he was about 10 years old, but most of the commentaries say, no, he was probably more between 15 and 19 years old. Right? So he was in his mid or, or late teens, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. This is it. This is it. He, he didn't even go home and get dressed up. He's coming from work. He had a dirty job. And he came in right from the fields wearing his shepherd's clothes. And God just looked at him, did not look at his outside because God doesn't look there. God looks where? At the heart. And he saw the heart of David and his heart was right. And God said, that's my man. That's my man right there. I don't care if he's an unassuming, has an unassuming appearance. It doesn't matter to me if he has an unassuming job. This is the guy. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And watch this. Underline this in your Bible if you have it in print. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. That's beautiful because that sets up his career. I want you to get this real. I want you to get this picture real well. How many of you remember the dream team? I'm talking about the original Dream Team. You remember that? So it's back in 1992, right? The original Dream Team, this was the first year that the NFL players were allowed to go to the Olympics. So here's what happened. The American team was stacked. 
You remember these guys, right? I mean, we had Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson, and Carl Malone, David Robinson, Charles Barkley. They even brought up a collegiate player by the name of Christian Latner. So needless to say, the United States team was ridiculous. I mean, we had, we had Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, you know, stacked on this team, and they went to the Olympics, and they won the 1992 Olympics 8-0. to zero. I mean, they didn't even lose a game at all. And remember, their, their, their margin of victory, remember, now this is against the best teams in the world, but their average margin of victory was 43.8 points a game. Chuck Daly, their coach, never called a timeout in all eight Olympic games. But then again, you don't have to if you were 44 points ahead of your opponent, right? Now, here's why I say this. See, here's the point. The Olympics is the highest level of competition in the world. I mean, you train for years before you go into the Olympics. So this is the highest level of competition. And when you have an invitation to the highest level of competition, who do you send? You send the dream team, right? You send your best. You pick out the biggest guys. You pick out the most talent. You pick out the team that is going to win. So what if you had an invitation to the Olympics the highest level of competition, and you said, you know what, let's send our seventh grade basketball team. How do you think that's going to work out? Do you think that's going to work? No, you're like, why would we do that? We're going to send in the big guys. But what the Lord's doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is he's getting ready to pick who's going to be king He's he's getting ready to pick the guy that's going to, to lead his people, and he picks the seventh grader. He picks the guy that just doesn't look like, like he's going to be able to do anything. He picks this young kid who's, who wasn't even invited to the competition. I want you to know that there's a lot riding on this. In fact, there's a whole lot more than just the well-being of a nation. Israel is God's chosen people. Israel is God's chosen people, the people that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the one that he would come through. And so God promises Abraham a long time ago, and he says, Abraham, there's going to be a nation that's going to descend from you, and from this nation, from this people, all the nations, all the people of the world will be blessed because the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer that I have set forth ever since Genesis chapter 3 is going to come through this people. You and I are sitting here today, right here in this room, and we can experience the salvation of Jesus Christ because God, in his glory and his greatness, chose a nation, chose a person, became a man himself, and came through this nation to bless all of us. This choice right here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is a big, big deal. It doesn't just affect Israel in chapter 16. This choice has consequences for generation after generation or after generation. And here we are today, 3,000 years removed from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and this choice still affects us today. This is beautiful how all this works out. God is about to pick the king of his people. God is about to pick the king whom Jesus would come from. It's a big, big choice, but God doesn't pick the dream team. Instead, he picks the awkward seventh grader who's a shepherd, which, by the way, was a very, very embarrassing job in those days. But that's who he picks. David, the guy that was overlooked, the guy that didn't even get invited to the sacrifice. Nobody thought he was going to be a pick. Nobody thought he was a consideration. We don't even need to invite David. He's not a pick. Just leave him out there with the animals. But God says, my pick for the king is David. That's my pick. 
My pick to establish the line that Jesus would come from is David. Here's a consistent theme that goes all the way through the Bible, and that is this. God's choice tends not to be the world's choice. God's choice tends not to be the world's choice. God will often choose what looks to be weak or what looks to be foolish in the eyes of the world to prove his strength and his might and his wisdom. The world might see a failure, but God sees a future. The world might see smallness, but God sees strength. The world might see a loser, but God sees a leader. Because God looks where? At the heart. God looks at the heart. David has no business by the standards of the world for being a king, but God knows that he can do far more through a man or woman with character on the inside than he can with that man's or woman's capabilities on the outside. And we do a lot of time, we spend a lot of time developing our capabilities, don't we? We take classes. We try to improve ourselves. We work for promotions. We train for events. We refine our skills. We work to increase our performance. In fact, I've been spending the last four months just working on my thigh and calf muscles because I have a goal to ride my bike to the top of Timmins Mountains two times this summer. I'm working for this, right? I have a goal. And listen, there's nothing, nothing wrong with you developing your abilities, nothing wrong with working your body, nothing wrong with developing your intellect as long as you remember that God sees character, not your capabilities, not your capabilities. Oh, but you work at it. We're called to develop our abilities. We're called to be all that we can be, you know, with our bodies, with our minds, intellect, all of that. But never forget that it's the character that God sees when he looks at you. It's what's on the inside. God knows that he can do far more with a man or woman who has character on the inside than that man's or woman's capabilities on the outside. God looks at the heart. Now, here's what happens. If all we do is develop our capabilities on the outside, and if we become like the best people that we can be, you know, we're we're shortcutting, we're limiting ourselves to what God can actually do for us. If you spend all the time developing the outside and neglect the inside, you're limiting yourself because your greatest potential is what lies inside. Let me leave you with a few things here this morning that are, are great lessons from this story See, I think, uh, you know, first of all, you need to know that God cares about character. So much so that it could be said that this book is just a character textbook. Everything that God gives us in this is to develop our character. It's filled with instructions on what it means to live righteously. That is, in a godly, upright manner, which defines our character. The Bible's filled with stories about men and women who got it right. But it also has stories about men and women who got it wrong. But all of that is included in here for our learning so that we can benefit from the examples of those who have gone before us. One of the greatest lessons that Jesus taught in this book, by the way, that he taught all of his followers is that a man or woman's character is always a matter of what is in his or her heart. And and what's living in your heart is actually your responsibility. You have that choice as to what you allow to come into your heart and influence you and and produce your character. And that's exactly why God tells us in his word that we're to guard our hearts above all else and to protect them with the greatest care. Here's what I want you to leave with today. Number one is this. Your character is the key to your best accomplishments. 
Your character is the key to your best accomplishments. Man, as I look across this audience, I see extremely, extremely capable people. Man, you guys are just able to do some things, amazing things, great accomplishments, you know, with your skills physically, with your minds. And I mean, some, some of the, I mean, there's just so much possibility here. But, but your greatest accomplishment is what will happen in your life when your character is in line with who God is. When your character is right, when you've got it right on the inside, that's when God does far more than what you could ever even ask or imagine. He has some incredible plans for you. I mean, David just, I mean, David wasn't one that was even practicing to become a king. He wasn't even training for this, but his heart was right. He was just right with the Lord and he worshiped the Lord out there. Apparently just, you know, worshiped the Lord out there as a shepherd boy and just had some times of worship. We know that he played an instrument and I think he was just like a worship guy out there, but his heart was right. And God says, that's my man right there to lead a nation, to be a world changer. I wonder what it is that God is calling you to do, what he's choosing you to do. He might be calling some of you to be world changers, to be leaders, maybe even enter, I'll say it, into politics, right? To kind of influence some things around us. Maybe a church leader, maybe a community leader. I don't know what he's calling you to do. But the key is, you know, just have that heart that is right so that he can use you. That's what God's looking for. God's looking for men and women who have character. Number two, you make the choice to determine your character. You make the choice. That's why it was once said that your character is the sum total of your life choices. If you make poor choices such as stealing or lying or laziness, that determines your character, right? And and it all comes out. You know, I don't have the choice maybe to, like what my situations will be or, you know, how I, what I'm going to confront in life, but I do have a choice as to how I'm going to respond to those things. So when dealing with frustrating or disappointing circumstances, I can either respond with patience or I can get all upset about it. The choice is always mine to make. So my character is always a matter of my choice. Thus, it's my responsibility. And finally, let me leave you with this. Because God's plan, listen, because God's plan to work through you is so big, so big, far more than what you can even imagine. God wants to use you to do some incredible things. He will go at work at times to correct our character because when our character is right, that's when he kicks in. And so if your character is not where it needs to be, perhaps there's this huge chasm, perhaps, or a mountain, you know, that just kind of separates our character from what God is calling us to do. Maybe there's a disconnect there. God, as a loving father, will work to discipline us. I mean, every good father does that, right? If you don't discipline your kids at all, you've probably all seen some kids that never had discipline, right? They're just not pleasant to be around. They're not really going to function well. You know as a parent that it's important to discipline your kids because it develops and produces character. It's exactly what God does with us. So he works to discipline us. He works to refine our character. He works to correct our character. It's called discipline. And and sometimes that's hard things. It's not pleasant things. But that's what God does because he loves us. And he knows that, that your character is the key to your success. He knows that your character is the key to being all that he planned for you to be. 
So here's my question for you this morning. What is it that God is choosing you to do? I don't know. And maybe you don't either. But maybe you do know that your character is far, far away, perhaps from what God can do in his calling. You might recognize that there's this chasm or there's this huge mountain between where you are and what God wants. Here's what I want you to do this morning as we kind of wrap up this morning with this worship song. I want you to use this maybe as an invitation. Just say to God, God, I, I want to just come back to you. I want to I submit my life to the living Lord, to the living hope, because this is where your character begins to be developed. Would you stand with me this morning? As we wonder today what God called you to be, what God called you to do, you may not know, I may not know, but what we do know is that God wants to use men and women of great character to do some amazing things. So God, I just pray today that whether we're at a disconnect right now with our inside, the way we are in the inside, with who you are and your holiness, if it seems like there's this huge wall or mountain between us and you, I pray that at this moment we would remove that. We would lay that down. And that that gap would close so that we would begin to see you as our living hope, the one that can just work through us and just lead us to those great places of service for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. First Timothy 4.12 is a great reminder that we don't have to wait to make a difference in our world for God. God is encouraging young people to live their faith out loud, but ultimately the text speaks to the importance for everyone to be an example to others by the way we live out our faith. The old saying, your life may be the only Bible some people will ever read, might just be true. What message is your life giving? Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church Podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to share it with a friend so they can be encouraged too. We'll see you next week.